Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never, Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. And you know what? Everybody has a story. I don't care who you are or where you live, but everybody has a story. And the world is waiting to hear stories of hope. To hear stories of people who have survived incredible circumstances, who possibly have had to survive extreme poverty or abuse or have overcome illness or loss of a family member or serious depression. All of us have experienced negative things in our life and when we hear stories of people who have also experience those kind of things we can relate and so even if the particular person that we are talking to on the show does not have the same story as yours we still can glean something from it because we glean encouragement and hope and very often survival techniques today I have a woman who I have interviewed before and her story get out the Kleenex but at the same time she has an incredible story of survival and it's about kids and babies and so that's where it touches us especially those of us who are moms but also anyone that is going through something where you don't see any hope where it seems like there's no answers learning how to tap into our inner resources to gain strength and encouragement from others who have gone through it all of these things are what never ever give up hope is about we are now heard in over 140 countries and we continue to maintain the number one rank on google on the subject of hope so we are excited today to share another story and I thank you for listening and for sending your feedback because that's what makes the show is the listeners so thank you thank you with me today I have Crystal Duffy she is an author a public speaker a teacher a parent advisor in the NICU which she's going to explain when she shares her story and she has three precious little girls 
including a set of identical twins. And I'm sure there's lots of humor involved around that. Now, as I mentioned, I have interviewed Crystal before, and her survival story is one that I'll never forget. It's one of those where you're listening to it and you go, because you can't believe it. And yet, here she is sharing this amazing story. She was on a two-month bed rest, an extended NICU stay, and she almost died twice. So that has to be fear and all kinds of other emotions around that as well. And yet it is this journey, this story that she's going to share that started her wonderful writing career and actually a new career and where she gives the message of strength, encouragement, and the biggie, hope. Her new book, which just recently launched, is called Twin to Twin. Now this might sound like, what in the world does that mean? Well, this is what her story is about and what is she is going to share that adventure. And it will help anyone who is going through any type of adversity to know that as long as we hang on to that one thread of hope, we'll get through. Now as a result, she's connected with thousands of families who she's been able to help with her work with patients, her essays, which have been featured in magazines, and she's also a senior staff writer and teacher for Twiniversity, which she will share in a minute. So welcome, Crystal. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking with you. So it's such a pleasure to be back on. Now, let's start a little bit from the beginning for those listeners who have not heard your story and also to give us a refresher for those of us who have. Now, try to imagine this. One minute, Crystal was sitting at a candlelight dinner in Paris with her husband, and basically the next minute, she's back home at the OBGYN's office, very concerned that she was just having another miscarriage. So tell us that story, Crystal. Right. So yes, that's correct. One minute we were sitting at a candlelit dinner in Paris. My husband had surprised me with a trip. Uh, We had at the time an 18 month old daughter and he had arranged babysitting for her and it was our first trip away. Um, And then we come back home and I uh, took a pregnancy test and realized I was uh, pregnant very early on, probably around four weeks, uh, I would say. And then a couple of weeks went by and I started bleeding, uh, very heavily. So I made an appointment to go and see my doctor and I had, uh, suffered a previous loss, um, few years prior. So I had mentally prepared myself that that was the news that I was going to hear that day was that I was having another miscarriage. But to my shock and surprise, the doctor said, no, you, uh, you actually are pregnant with twins. <laughs> um, and that was the shock of a lifetime. And I, I kept thinking he was joking. And, and when was he going to get to the punchline? Um, but had it not been for the ultrasound screen right in front of me, and he pointed, he said, here's you know, one baby and here's the other. And they just look like little blobs on a screen right. uh, <laughs> at the time. But yeah, so we were pregnant with twins um, spontaneously, you know, so naturally. Um, and the source of the bleeding was actually a blood clot 
that had formed in my uterus and it was threatening to terminate the pregnancy. So here I am sitting at the doctor's office, just received um, joyous news that we were pregnant with two babies, but at the same time, given the, the diagnosis that we might lose them. And, you know, of course, my first <clears throat> response was, what, what can we do? What, what, you know, what's the plan? Um, and really nothing that early could be done uh, other than go on a modified bed rest at home and just sort of hope and pray that everything would, would be okay. Uh, and so that is what I did. And uh, I, there was a lot of praying and I, I had faith because I knew I had had uh, two, I had two losses, you know, previously. And I, I took it as a sign from God that these were my two babies that I had lost in previous years. So this was, this was our chance. And, and I was going to do everything in my power to, keep a positive attitude and to just pray and hope for the best. And so that, that is what uh, happened a few weeks later. We went back to the doctor and the blood clot had reabsorbed itself back into my body and the pregnancy was progressing as normal. So at that point I took a deep breath and I thought, okay, he, here we go. You know, I can, I can do this. And so I was very busy, you know, trying to do nursery preparations and, I planned a, you know, a family vacation, just the three of us. And it was after our, our family vacation that I began feeling really strange. Um, I was very, I had a very tightened and hardened abdomen more, more than usual. And then I, I felt like I was gaining a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. Mm. Um, and it was alarming. And so I, I called my doctor and he, uh, you know, he said, you know, you're pregnant with twins. This is going to be really uncomfortable. It's not like your first pregnancy, just kind of lay down and take it easy. And so that is what I did. And, um, you know, a few days later, I still didn't feel right. I was still, you know, had a gut feeling something was wrong. I called back the same thing. He's like, you know, just lay down, drink water. And I said, okay. And then it was the end of the week this time. And at this point I was getting really frustrated and, you know, upset because I, I felt like my voice wasn't being, mm -hmm. um, my, my, you know, like my uh, concerns weren't being addressed. Right. And it's with you so every I, single second. Oh yeah. That's the other exactly. side. You know? Exactly. And I said, no. And so I called back, you know, a little bit more, uh, angry this time I said no I'm coming in like there we have to check this out and he's and my doctor said okay I'll make you an appointment for the next week at the high risk doctor and then who has the better you know machine and everything that way we can be certain um and so I said okay and so I waited the weekend and then I went in for my appointment and as soon as I I laid down and as soon as the doctor put the little ultrasound wand on my belly he, he knew and the, 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 there was no, you know, preface or he sort of just blurted out the words. And he said, you know, Crystal, your babies are really sick. You have uh, a rare, um, I guess it's not that rare. It's a blood, uh, it's a disease of the placenta called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Wow. And, and it, it only affects uh, identical twins 
But of identical twins, it actually happens 15 to 20% of the time. Really? So, yes. So it's something that I always tell twin parents now, if you're expectant with twins uh, and, and you're having identical, be aware of this, uh, you know, disease because it, it does, it takes more babies' lives each year than SIDS, but yet it's, really? it's rare, rarely talked about. Yeah. So, um, so here we are and, you know, just received this devastating diagnosis and, uh, we, we didn't know, we thought we were going to lose the babies, uh, because one of the babies was in such severe heart failure. So one of the babies was receiving too many nutrients and the other one was starving, but it was actually the one that was receiving all the nutrients. She was the one that was on, uh, in heart failure because, she was having to work harder for all of these, you know, extra nutrients. Yeah. So we didn't know. And and the doctor didn't even know if they have a surgery um, to correct this problem, but he didn't know if that baby would survive because she was in such heart failure. And so he said, um, you know, we have this medication that we're kind of testing out. We're pretty sure it'll help her, you know, do you want to try it? And I said, absolutely. (laughs) I will do whatever it takes uh, that you think will help our babies. So I I took the medication and again, it was, it was 24 hours, but it was the worst 24 hours of me and my husband's life because, you know, we're just so worried the whole time that, you know, that she doesn't, she won't even make it through the surgery. So she won't even have this chance. So we're just praying that this medicine worked. Um, and when we went in the next day, uh, they, the doctor said, okay, she's doing a lot better. It looks like it worked. We can go ahead and do the surgery. Um, but then again, there was some risks with that. And um, he, he actually told us that we needed to make the really difficult and heart-wrenching decision that no parent would ever want to make. But you know, he sat, oh. he sat down with us, um, and said, what do you want us to do if we're in there and it looks like we can only save, you know, one baby. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so I, I was just, I lost it. I, I, I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't even know how you can ask this, but you, you have got to do everything in your power to save both babies. We're in it for both babies. Um, and my husband, you know, we, we talked about it and we did say that if it came, if it came down to it, um, you know, we wanted them to at least try and save one baby if it looked like they were both right. in danger, but it was, uh, it was just, it was horrible. And that was one of those experiences I'll never be able to forget. The conversation was ingrained in my memory forever, but, um, so yeah, we weren't we weren't sure what was going to happen, but we just again hoped and prayed for for the best. And um, the surgery was successful. I uh, when I woke up from anesthesia, they told me you know we were able to correct the problem. We saved both babies, and and uh, so I was so excited. And then there was like a but, and I was like, oh gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> I said, what now? And they said, well when we went in and did the surgery, we left a small hole in, in the inner twin membrane. It's probably not a big deal. It's going to be something we monitor, but we just wanted to let you know 
this is the situation. <laughs> and so I said, okay, you know, not a problem. We already made it through this huge, you know, uh, this huge problem, this getting through this disease, it'll be fine. And then I think it was 24 hours later when I came for the follow-up, they discovered that one of the babies had actually ripped the hole and swam to, to be with her sister. So, yeah, so essentially, um, so that condition or was called, is called mono-mono twins. And that's when both babies are swimming in the same amniotic sac and the same placenta. I like to think of it as like, you know, they're in the same sleeping bag. They're in very close quarters. Um, and this, and so mono mono twins carry their own host of complications completely unrelated to the twin to twin oh problem. My <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're, what happens is they're basically so close that they're uh, swimming around each other and their umbilical cords mm. are getting entangled. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's the biggest problem is, um, you have to make sure that they uh, don't cut off each other's, you know, circulation. And so at 25 weeks, I went into the hospital on bed rest to be basically monitored around the clock to make sure that, um, you know, nothing happened. I was basically, you know, a few feet away from uh, an operating room should anything happen and they have to act quickly to get the babies out. And then, Talk about uh, stress, right? Yes. And you're trying oh to remain goodness. calm through this as well. Did, yes, they tell, did they tell you that? Did they tell you that you need to remain calm? Like, was they, that an they, issue? They actually, they didn't, but that was something that I, that was really important to me from the very beginning. And so I always say, you know, my poor husband, he's the one that aged like, you know, 20 years from all of this, but I... I had it in my mind and my heart that I had to remain calm because if I went into panic and if I was terrified, the babies would be able to feel that yes. and and it would stress them out and, and they didn't need that. So I had to just really channel any positive, you know, memory. Mm-hmm. My daughter visiting really helped, you know, friends would come by with, you know, like treats for me, you know, magazines junk food, anything to save me from <laughs> hospital food. Um, but yeah, so, and, and the crazy part of it all was I was, here I was in the hospital being monitored every few hours. And then uh, I woke up again one morning and I was, this was in June and it, um, I was 30 weeks pregnant at the time. And I, again, I just had this weird feeling that something was off. And I voiced my concern to my doctor. And, you know, by this time, I, I was pretty, you know, adamant about getting, uh, you know, I was empowered to voice my own concerns and to make sure that they followed up with them, you know, quickly in the first time. And, uh, you know, he, he monitored me and he saw that I was having contractions. And they did try to give me some medication to stop the labor but it didn't work. Um, as everybody knows, babies, you know, kind of do their own thing. They yeah. come when they want to. <laughs> you can't stop them uh, all the time. So I, I pretty much at that point just like pleaded with him. And I said, look, I've been in the hospital. I've read just about every book and article about preemie babies. I know the statistics. I know what I'm up against. 
I'm well aware, you know, I, we made it to 30 weeks. We thought we were going to lose them at 23. I think you need to deliver me. And this is our decision. And, you know, to my pleasant surprise, he, he agreed. I mean, he said, really? yeah, yeah, I think we should, yeah, I think we should deliver you today. And so I, I like to think that's the most powerful part of my story, that sort of patient doctor collaboration to come to this really difficult decision. Um, because, you know, obviously all doctors want the babies to stay in as long as possible, but I had a special case. And how big were they at this point? They were three pounds. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, which is still small, but for a preemie, if you'll talk to any NICU mom, that is huge. (laughs) So I, we, we were very happy with that. And so I, he took me back and, you know, uh, to the OR, we started the C-section and, and I didn't know any of this cause I was, you know, out, <laughs> but as soon as he started the C-section, the first incision he made, he saw that I was bleeding. I, I had a hemorrhage, but I was bleeding internally. And that's oh not goodness. something that, um, that was, that would have come up on any kind of monitor. So, um, had we actually waited, me and the babies would, would have died there in the hospital, like with, with all of the care and with all of the machines. And, and that was just the most, that was just the most craziest part of it all was that here I was, I thought I was in the safest place possible. But again, it was because of my own, you know, I, I was very in tune with my body. Yes, I, yes. I, I know, I knew something was off and, and it's very hard to describe, but people know their body and when it's trying to tell them something. So, um, yeah, so I, my, my advocacy for myself, uh, (laughs) proved to save, you know, me and my baby's life and, uh, the girls, I mean, you know, they do those C-sections. They had the girls out like in literally two minutes. (laughs) Um, and the, they were taken, you know, back to the NICU obviously, but it was, when they were trying to work on me that, you know, they, they kicked my husband out. And so he didn't know what was going on. So he was, you know, freaking out. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was quite a while until they were able to come and give him an update. But then, um, you know, and then, and then of course, when I woke up in the recovery room, you know, everybody told me what had happened and that was just, it was just something terrifying to hear that, oh yeah, you almost, you almost died because <laughs> you had, you had no idea that that was even right. ever, right. yeah. And that's such a big, um, unfortunately that's such a big uh, issue in, in our country, the maternal morbidity and mortality, um, the rates are really high, um, and uh, nobody really knows an exact answer why, but, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the most important things I like to always say is to just really just be on top of your own health care and, and have have a team, you know, have your mom, have your, you know, your dad, your hu- your spouse or a friend, you know, anybody else you can have there with you at these, you know, appointments or especially, you know, if you're in the hospital for a stay, you know, have your health care team or have your team there with you so that you can all kind of advocate together. And make sure you don't miss anything, any of those details. So how long did the babies have to stay in the hospital? They were in the NICU for 38 days. Yeah, and they were born, um, yeah, three pounds, one ounce, three pounds, two ounces. Um, and they were they were perfect. They were just tiny and needed time to grow. Um, and so that's, that's what they did. Yeah. They- Was the doctor surprised that they were perfect? 
Um, actually, not too much because, again, like 30 weeks is such a huge milestone. The big, they tell you in terms of preemies, if you make it past 28 weeks, that's when the baby's lungs are, you know, more than yes. likely fully, fully developed. And uh, during that time when, when, you know, they had given me that medicine to try to stop the contractions, shortly afterwards, I, I asked them for the steroid shot, which does help with the lungs as well. So we yes. were able to get one last round of, of steroids. So I think because of the 30 weeks gestation and, and the shots, the steroid shots that they were, that they came out really really healthy. And actually, um, people ask me all the time if there's any effects from the twin to twin disease, you know, is there one baby bigger than the other? Um, and I said, actually, no, because they were able to successfully, you know, stop that problem. Yes. And our girls, even to this day, have remained, you know, very close in size. Now, I want to fast forward before I ask you um, some more questions about this. But Today, are they identical to the point where you have trouble determining which is which <laughs> or who is who? <laughs> um, so I have always been able to tell them apart. Me and my husband, you know, we're the parents. Right. And most people, if you spend enough time with them and you look at their face, the, the shapes of their face are slightly different. One of them's a little more round. One of them's a little bit more oval. But But when they were babies... And, you know, we were sleep-deprived yeah. parents. <laughs> we um, we did have to paint one of the babies to- pink. Her, we painted her toenail pink <laughs> just to remember <laughs> that that's who that was. Because, you know, the, the worst mistake any twin parent can make is feed the same baby twice. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of that, but yeah. Yes. That's- <laughs> because, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. You'd be right, like, so- no, but, but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so let's back up again, back to the hospital. So how did you get through that hospital stay? Just um, like you shared a little bit about having friends, you know, come in, etc. But anything else that you personally did on a daily basis to try to um, keep the right attitude, to knowing the type of person you are to help other people? What did you do? How did you pass the time? Right. Well, um, I, the type of person I am, I, I really like being busy and staying, you know, having a plan, having an agenda, but that's one of my biggest pieces of advice for anybody that I hear that has to go on bed rest is to, to pretend like you are still getting up every day and doing a job and, and you are, I mean, you're sitting there incubating safely for your baby and, and, and make a, a schedule for yourself and, and that's what I would do. I would get up and shower and get ready and I'd sit there in bed and, you know, I would read and I would pray. Everything had like a, a time slot. And then I did I did spend um, a lot of time uh, writing, journaling. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was in the hospital that my writing career really started. I, I started, I wrote two lullabies for my Aww. girls. Yeah, and I was I was able to put them to music with some help from a hospital intern, which was oh wonderful. Oh my goodness, that's wonderful! Yeah. Yes, yes. So people, if if you go to my website, you can you know hear those. They're, it's beautiful, um, and the girls they know them, they know the words because you know we sing them at bedtime and everything, and it's, it's really special. No kidding. Um, it was then that I started writing, and I, it was. 
after though, because, you know, obviously when the babies were in the NICU, I was so busy and so overwhelmed. I was going to the hospital every day, you know, pumping milk and, and trying to be as integrated into their care as I could. And then I would come home at the end of the day and I still had my two-year-old daughter. And so it was just, it was a lot. But it was after um, the twins came home from the hospital that I had this moment. And I remember it really clearly. I was on the couch by myself at this point. My husband had gone back to work. And I'm like sitting there in my arms with two newborn babies, my two-year-old, you know, at my feet. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, I I have to write this story down. Because there was... <laughs> It was just too crazy. I, my doctor had told me that I was like the first, the only case in 30 years of practicing OBGYN that he'd seen something quite like this. Cause he's always seen either one of the problems or the other, but not all of them <laughs> uh, strung together. So and then um, the survival as well, not just the problems, but the, the outcome. Right. Exactly. And, and yeah, and the happy ending. And so that's really, that's really what, you know, incited me to start writing. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Because again, I said I had two, you know, two preemie newborns and a two year old that we were potty training at the time. But I, I just had to take, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there, and and write it all down pretty much. It, I did it as fast as I could, because all of those memories were still so ingrained in me. And I knew as time went on, I, I would lose a lot of those, you know, exactly. details. Now, you, when you say writing, I, I know you're talking about your book as well. But also, as I mentioned in your bio way up front, is that you also write for other magazines, etc. Did that come as a result of your book? Yeah. So while I was writing the book, uh, you know, because it's a long process, I also started uh writing essays, uh, you know, just I would be inspired by something. And I, I found Twiniversity, which is my, um, my, they're like my twin tribe. And they really loved the essays I wrote about, you know, bed rest and about the traumatic birth and how I dealt with that. And, and what was amazing is with the essays, you know, readers from all over the country and world read them. And yes. some of them... Some of them um, have reached out and, and messaged me and said that they had a, a similar experience. And, and so the fact that my writing in some way has been able to help someone has just been the most amazing gift. Um, and it's what's kept me going. Now, tell me about uh, what it means, what's entailed with being a patient advocate. And I'm assuming this is um, probably more recent, like after your articles, etc., that you became involved doing this and what does that entail? Yes. So, um, the, the hospital systems there, there's this movement, it's called, you know, patient and family centered care. And it's really about involving the, the patient in, in the, their care. And so I became uh, a parent advisor for the NICU. And so what that means is I'm a former NICU parent and I come into the hospital and I meet, with their quality improvement team. And I basically give my feedback and my input as a parent. And I, I'm able to help them on projects, mm. giving that, giving that valuable, you know, perspective that they wouldn't otherwise know. Um, Not so, just from a medical perspective, but all the emotional side yeah. and the practical side, correct? 
Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, and one of the things I always used to say was, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a medical, I don't have a medical background, but I'm just a mom. And they would tell me, no, but this is so valuable and yes. so important because you're a mom that lived through all of this. And also, so you have the experience, but you also have the passion to want to come back and give back and help in this way, which is, which is in turn going to help a lot of families with these improvements that we're making. So, One thing that's obvious as I'm uh, listening to you speak today and also from what you said about making the decision to remain calm through all of this, and you, you also appear to be a person who is calm, is this something that you address when you are talking with other parents um how important is this and where did you find this calmness well I really yeah it's definitely something I I tell the parents when I meet with them that I understand that all of the anxiety and stress that's all completely normal but you know when they're in the hospital visiting their babies they've got to try to be calm and you know talk to them in a soft spoken voice you know because all that is really really important and I guess my own um I guess my own calmness has just come from, uh, you know, again, when I was in the hospital and when I was pregnant, I just, I knew that I had to, to remain that way in order, in order to get through this. It was almost like a survival skill that I, um, like a mechanism that I, you know, formed to be able to get through, it was like a shield to get, pave my way, um, you know, through the darkness, if you will, um, until I could see that light at the end of the tunnel and, and know that it had really, you know, paid off. But, um, and for, and some advice, I guess, for people that are anxious or, you know, scared. One thing that helped me to remain calm is that, uh, the, the creative, you know, outlets. So writing, journaling, listening to music, um, you know, if you're not confined (laughs) to a hospital bed, you know, going outside in nature, like all of these things are just so rejuvenating and relaxing and they just bring, you know, a calmness uh, to them and you can feed off of that. And that is crucial, which you mentioned yes. for, many, for many reasons. Now, mm-hmm. you also teach expecting moms uh, twins classes. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And tell so, me about those. And, and is this something that, that you're doing in in addition to the patient advocate? Yes, program? in addition okay. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is open to anyone. If you're listening and you're pregnant with twins or you know someone that is pregnant with twins, I offer a class in person in Houston, but also online. So if you go, yeah, if you go to my website, crystalduffy.net, there will be some information there for how you can register to join us online. And the online class is really awesome because, you know, if you're pregnant, sometimes you don't want to get dressed. You just want to be like at home in your pajamas. So we love that. So we'd love to have you. Um, And it's such a great course because we really, it's divided up into two parts. The first part is, you know, more of like what, what to expect you know, with labor and delivery. And then the second part is about, you know, baby gear and how your life will really change uh, after. With, with So it's very birth. practical. Very practical, yes. Uh-huh. And then um, I also am starting another seminar 
It's called Life After the NICU. And it's something that is really, really special to me because I, I struggled a lot with, um, you know, PTSD after our, oh, our yes. after my experience. Yeah. And all, dealing with all of that trauma and, you, but, you know, at the same time, I would have people tell me, you know, but you should be so grateful. You got to come home with healthy babies. And of course I was, but I couldn't help, but, you know, still feel really, you know, traumatized from yes. everything. So, um, and, and in meeting other NICU parents, we have, uh, realized, and, you know, obviously through all my research now, that is incredibly common that a lot of parents after their babies are discharged face a lot of ongoing, you know, uh, their babies not only have ongoing medical complications, but they are also facing these ongoing, you know, psychosocial traumatic, um, issues that they're experiencing and they, they have no one because they're not in the hospital anymore. So you don't have your doctors or your nurses and and you might not know other families, you know, NICU families. So this is something that's really near and dear to my heart. And, uh, I'm partnering with the Houston, uh, motherhood center and we're going to have a seminar in class. Uh, and we're also going to try to do one online as well. So this is for anybody. It doesn't matter if your baby just came home from the hospital or, you know, is like five or you still, if you have a premature baby or a baby with any, um, that requires, you know, medical attention, um, it's a support network. So I am a firm believer in what you said, uh, back in the beginning of this interview in that no matter what kind of trauma we go through, we can always find something to relate with someone who maybe has gone through something the exact opposite or totally different or because trauma is trauma and it has it has its lessons to be learned it has its pitfalls it has its high points it has emotions it has anxiety you know there's so many things involved so you had mentioned that you can help and do help those who have gone through other types of trauma other than what you have gone through. And my question is, have you been able to help other people as a result of that? Have you had feedback like from people who say, you know, I'm not going through that, but, or, um, or, or even people who are, are just going through a traumatic childbirth, as, but it's not twins. Or Just share a little bit about that kind of feedback and how you've been able to touch lives. Uh, yes, actually, um, you're exactly right. Uh, we all, you know, we all experience pain and suffering and trauma. I mean, there's no one that's exempt from this life, unfortunately, without some kind of trauma. But I've been able to help, you know, uh, I had a friend that her husband was diagnosed with cancer. And while I couldn't relate to that, I knew sort of that terror that she was living with, you know, every day. Um, Other friends that have been struggling with infertility, you know, I've been able to help, you know, them as well with giving them, you know, suggestions on, you know, outlets for stress and how to remain calm. Um, But it, it, I I have to tell you that, um, yeah, by being able to share my story, you know, vulnerably with other people, has helped, I think, not only them, but it has helped me in my healing process. And I just think that, you know, getting to share my story to help others has just been the greatest gift. When did did your book launch? 
my book launched on December 15th, so this past weekend. And um, yeah, and it, it's available um, on all the places you can buy books Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. Um, Tell us a little yeah. more about the book. Is it written as a memoir? Is it written as a story, as a help book? Tell us a little bit more about that in particular. Sure. Yeah, it is uh, is written as a memoir, and it, it reads like fiction. And I have already gotten some really great feedback from people that have picked it up and haven't been able to put it down because I, I, I intentionally started the story in the heat of the drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I... So I was able to sort of, you know, obviously weave back, you know, some through flashbacks, some of my past history and, you know, to get, to really get the reader up to speed. Um, but it takes the reader through that journey with me and all of those terrifying conversations with the doctors. And, you know, it's like they're right there with me waiting to get the news. Um, and everybody, you know, is at the edge of their trying to figure out okay so what you know happens with the babies <laughs> right right um, yeah um but yeah and it, uh i'm excited to get more feedback and to see yeah again my hope with all of this was to just really inspire other families navigating through a similar journey with that message of strength and hope and encouragement that no matter what anyone says you know there's always a hope and then there's miracles I have seen them I am I am one me and my girls are mm. living living proof never give up hope <laughs> like the name of yeah the show exactly. and is there a little boy in the picture in the future you think <laughs> I don't think so the little boy in our life is our dog <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's but, cute. Um, yeah, no, the girls, yeah, they keep me quite busy. Um, and I am, and I'm actually already at work on book number two, believe it or not, which is going to be um, about all of the patient advocate work that I do in the NICU. Now, when your husband survived this with you, do you share his perspective in your book as well? I do. Yeah, I give a little bit uh, some insight. Uh, and I've had friends, you know, that had the chance to read the book already that said, wow, I know Ed, like so much better now in a whole, you know, new that's life. Good. That's good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because I think that's an important aspect to any memoir is that um, not just, you know, how the trauma affected your life, but those around you, because it definitely affects everybody, including your little daughter, without her even realizing it probably at that very young age. Right, exactly. Um, that's my first line in the book, or, you know, my dedication. I said, the twins were my inspiration for it all, but uh, my husband and other daughter were my strength through it all. So Excellent. they were really... Yeah, they were really the ones that helped me get through it. Well, I appreciate that. And that's a good note to to close on because it is strength, which is key to any trauma, no matter what it is that we are going through, to find that inner strength to move forward. And you did that calmly. <laughs> as calm as possible as calm, yeah as calmly as I could <laughs> and I'm excited about reading your book I know that um, knowing you and having l talked with you now on these two occasions 
there is so much more here than what you shared today and that's what's exciting about reading the moment by moment story and so I encourage everyone to check out twin to twin it's hard when you see that name to try to figure out what that means right right because it's kind of a yeah a play on words exactly so don't realize (laughs) that's right so that even makes it a little more intriguing Mm-hmm. But you are a survivor, and your story is going to be a phenomenal success, which it already has been in helping others. And so I encourage you, go to Amazon or wherever, Barnes & Noble, as she mentioned, and other places. Pick up a copy. Share it with someone who may be even going through a traumatic time in their own lives or a traumatic pregnancy, because when those hormones are going to, there's so much more... Um, to deal with and being calm through that and being able to help women who are going through that must be a real blessing for you as well oh yes absolutely so thank you crystal and uh, we will look forward to maybe speaking to you again when your next book launches oh yes i would love that thank you so so much carol it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today bye-bye bye-bye Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.